Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Visual Politic Podcast. I'm your host, Simon. This one is called Trump's Wall, Unexpected Consequences. This was a video originally going out on our YouTube channel. It went out on the 22nd of April this year, 2019. I'm going to be jumping in throughout the episode to fill in any details that relied on visual aspects, which uh, are not working here on a podcast. So I'll explain things as we go along. And let's get into it. In the past, most of the people in this room voted for a wall, but the proper wall never got built. I will get it built. On February the 15th, 2019, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, decreed a state of national emergency. To confront this national security crisis, last month I declared a national emergency. A national emergency. He did this against his own lawyer's recommendation and opposition from practically all of the Democrats, as well as a good number of Republicans. I watch some good people, they're friends of mine. Uh, we're very concerned with setting precedent. By his own account, the president made this decision to accomplish what Congress was preventing him from doing, building the controversial wall along the Mexican border. According to the president, the United States is suffering from an invasion of drugs, immigrants, and criminals that is putting national security at risk. Not one more American life should be lost because our nation failed to control its very dangerous border. Now, according to Mick Mulvaney, the president's chief of staff, the administration will have about $8 billion to close the Mexican border in the name of national security. But just a minute, folks, because this is significant. When we started this project, Visual Politic, we wanted to create a channel where we could tell you about the things that were happening in the world in a free and independent way, always backed up with data and information as references. And folks, that's precisely what we like to do. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, no matter how you feel about immigration, what we are going to tell you in this video is what the latest information tells us. A little more than two years ago, Donald Trump arrived at the White House with a promise that stood out above the rest, to build a huge wall along the entire Mexican border. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. A wall of almost 2,000 miles. That's more than 3,000 kilometers. To give you an idea of what this means, we can take a look at what this project might end up costing. First, let's take into consideration that there are more than 600 miles of walls and fences already built to close the border to Trump's specifications, that is, by building a wall that is at least 30 feet high with barriers that hinder the construction of tunnels would cost, according to the best estimates, more than $30 billion. The Department of National Security has estimated the cost of completing the border's closure to be more than $20 billion. That is, if they opt for a more modest alternative based on the existing section, a combination of walls and fences, and that still rings in at $20 billion. And we're not only talking about construction costs, because I can tell you that maintaining such an infrastructure is not going to be cheap. Now, before we just write this whole thing off on cost alone, I think there are a few questions that we should probably answer. Why has this wall been so controversial? Why oppose a wall that, in principle, would maintain order at the border, enforce the law, and dissuade many people from embarking on a journey that could cost them their lives? And is there any truth in Trump's claim that with this wall, the United States would be a safer country? Well, listen up. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. The Wall. History and Unexpected Consequences. 
The truth is that Donald Trump's proposal, it isn't exactly original. The idea of closing the Mexican border, it began in 1986 when Ronald Reagan built 22 kilometers of steel fences in San Diego. He did this in exchange for legalizing millions of illegal immigrants in what has become the largest naturalization program in the history of the United States. It's the most comprehensive reform of our immigration laws since 1952. It's the product of one of the longest and most difficult legislative undertakings in the last three Congresses. Further, it's an excellent example of a truly successful bipartisan effort. Hispanics honor Nancy Reagan and thank the amnesty signed by her husband Ronald in 86. That was from Univision Noticias. Yep, that was certainly a rather different era for the Republican Party. And these are employers down through the years who have encouraged the illegal entry into this country because they then hire these individuals and hire them as starvation wages and with none of the benefits that we think are normal and natural for workers in our country. I believe in the idea of amnesty for those who have put down roots and who have lived here, even though some time back they may have entered illegally. The fact is that by the year 2000, the length of the fortified border with walls or fences had barely grown to 60 miles or about 100 kilometers, and almost all of that was in urban areas. What is it we have here? Your Spanish today was just perfecto. But in 2006, there was a dramatic turning point. In exchange for putting forward a bill that would help naturalize almost all illegal immigrants, a law that, in the end, wasn't approved, George Bush agreed to build a border fence of almost 700 miles. Most of these agreed fences are in place today. The point is that these barriers have had consequences that just might surprise you. See, until the 1990s, people could move rather freely across the border, so many workers, mainly from Mexico, crossed between the two countries numerous times. For example, they crossed it for agricultural work during the summer and then returned home during the winter. That way, although many people crossed the border irregularly, the number of illegal immigrants permanently living in the United States remained more or less stable at around 3 million people. However, as the kilometers of fences, walls, and border controls increased, the cost of crossing the border it skyrocketed. Between 1995 and 2009, the cost of crossing the border for an immigrant rose from $500 to more than $5,000. It multiplied by 10. This huge increase in the cost of crossing the border, along with the higher risks of being detained, caused people who did make it to the United States to simply stay there and work and not leave. And that's precisely one of the reasons why, in spite of having three times as many border agents and more than 600 miles of completed fences and walls, the number of illegal immigrants living in the United States today is much higher than it was in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. Now, there are other factors that contribute to this, of course, but this is a significant one. It supports the argument that the wall might not be as effective in reducing immigration as it would seem. At the end of the day, the incentive to cross the border is so great that walls haven't been an impediment, even though the mechanisms to cross them have become more expensive. It appears that balls are indeed having the opposite effect on permanent immigration to the intended one. What's more, we can't forget that in recent years there has been another great change. These days, the vast majority of illegal immigrants no longer cross the border illegally. Basically, they take a plane that lands in the United States, and when their visa expires, they just stay. And the wall is not going to do anything to stop that happening. 
But folks, this only partially answers our questions. We need to now see how the wall could stem the invasion of criminals which Donald Trump considers the national emergency. The non-national emergency. The White House is very clear on one point. The Mexican border has become an entry point for foreign criminals to enter the US. Sealing this border is a matter of national security. But how true is this really? Well, if it were true, we'd likely see three things. First, there would be some evidence of criminals arriving across the border. Second, the border zones would be dangerous places, for example, for the people working border security. I mean, if the border was infested with criminals and drug dealers cross it like it's their territory, then being a border guard would be quite a dangerous profession. And third, the states most affected by crime would be those that have the most illegal immigrants. So ask yourself this question. Do you think these three points bear out in reality? Well, let's start with the first question, shall we? If the border is leaking criminals, it would follow that you would see many criminals going through it. Well, folks, according to the US government's own data, this isn't quite so. Illegal immigrants detained by border patrols have very low crime histories, and on top of that, the number is getting smaller. For example, only 0.04% of illegal immigrants arrested had convictions for serious crimes like homicide. Shown on screen is a chart comparing the annual family unit and unaccompanied alien children apprehension rates versus the homicide and manslaughter conviction rates of apprehended border crossers between 2015 and 2018. The number of families and children apprehended have risen from around 20,000 to around 35,000, whilst the number of those convicted of homicide or manslaughter apprehended has dropped from around 3.5 per 100,000 to under 1 per 100,000 over that time. This rate is lower than that of the United States as a whole. Because the thing is, at the border, we typically see families arriving. You want some more data? The rate of murders of border guard security staff, that is, the people who are on the front lines against all those invading criminals, is just two agents per hundred thousand. This is almost 10 times lower than the 19.7 rate recorded for the police force throughout the rest of the country. It is also less than half of the murder rate in the general population of the United States. Shown on screen is a bar chart showing the USA murder rate per 100,000 for 2003 to 2008 for the police, the USA average, and for Border Patrol officers. The police is the highest at 90.7 per 100,000, the USA is average 5.1, while the Border Patrol officers had the lowest at just 2 per 100,000. In other words, border guards are less likely to be murdered at work than any other citizen of the United States going about their regular lives. All this means that to say there's a national emergency at the border would mean that other US cities are basically war zones. But I know what some of you might be thinking right now. You're thinking, well, Simon, criminals are very clever and they know how to get past border patrol without being arrested. Well, in that case, let's imagine that some of these bad dudes are getting through. Probably then expect to see some evidence of increased criminal activity in the border territories, right? Well, let's check the data. It turns out that the crime rate in the 23 counties located along the Mexican border is actually lower than rates in US counties that are not on the Mexican border. Shown on screen are two bar charts detailing the homicide rate and violent crime rates in 2017 per 100,000 people. Border counties had lower incidences of homicide at 3.4 per 100,000 compared to 5.2 in non-border counties and lower violent crime at 347.8 per 100,000 compared to 378.6 in non-border counties. 
In Texas, the rate of criminal convictions for illegal immigrants is almost half of that of official residents. Shown on screen is a chart from the Cato Institute of Criminal Conviction Rates in Texas in 2015 per 100,000 population for all crimes, homicide, and larceny by native-born citizens, undocumented immigrants, and legal immigrants. In all three cases, the native-born citizens had the highest number of convictions, followed by the undocumented immigrants, and legal immigrants had the least number of convictions. All of this brings us to our third point. Is it true that the most dangerous states in the United States are the ones with the most illegal immigrants because, well, they're more likely to commit crimes? Well, the answer to that is no, not at all. In fact, it really is the opposite. Illegal immigrants are less likely to commit crimes than the general U.S. population. And by the way, legal immigrants are even less likely. The states where high percentages of the population are made up of illegal immigrants, well, they're actually safer. Look, folks, we can discuss whether immigration has positive or negative effects on the economy, which is something we've talked about here on this channel in the past. But in the United States, it's clear that immigrants do not have a negative effect on crime. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's also clear that the wall is not going to stop illegal immigration. Therefore, spending billions on something useless, it might not be the smartest move. That's why so many people oppose the precious wall, including many, many Republicans. We will defend the American way of life, and we will always defend America's borders, because without borders, as I've said many times before, we don't have a country. When you consider the facts and data, the wall policy is just sloppy. And this isn't even to mention Trump's abuse of power in trying to bypass Congress's authority and the separation of powers with a tool designed exclusively for veritable cases of national emergency. I watch some good people, they're friends of mine, we're very concerned with setting precedent. And this obviously is not an emergency, particularly because neither national security is at risk, nor is illegal immigration something that is going to be solved immediately or simply. So finally, folks, with this video, we tried to collect the main points and lay them on the table so we can understand why so many people oppose the wall. Because opposing the wall, it doesn't necessarily imply being in favor of open borders. It simply means being against an idea that looking at the data available only seems to benefit the companies that are going to build it. And by the way, in order to build it, the United States government would have to expropriate its rights over an enormous amount of privately owned territory, which seems a bit heavy handed, don't you think? So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.